Welcome back, everybody. It's been a while. Welcome to 2023. Brand new year, brand new and well old problems on the on the horizon here. So if you've been paying attention, you know that the there's been a lot of discussion about what's going on with with the economy, with inflation, with with high tech, with a whole lot of uh, layoffs occurring across the spectrum with Google, Amazon, Microsoft, Salesforce. So we're in a stage now where the business concerns are driving a lot of, of what we have to do in, in technology. And that will be what we cover today. As usual, I'm John Gallagher. And what we want to talk about is paying for all of this. And we were just discussing offline that we want to be upfront about the fact that our preference is to use the cloud to address IT problems. That is our favorite set of tools in the tool chest. But we're going to bring up an example of a well-known company, well-known in, in terms of uh, its its outlook. It's been a guiding light in a lot of DevOps and such. It's a company called 37 Signals. And they recently announced that they were bringing their workloads off of the cloud and back into the data center. So 37 Signals, if you're not familiar with it, they have uh, two main products. One is the Basecamp product, which is used for project management, and a newer product, an email-type system called Hey, which re-envisions the use of, of email. We are not – I've used Basecamp in the past, and we are not users of Hey, but, but 37 Signals has always been a interesting voice in the process of professionalizing software engineering. And so when the management, in particular DHH, the CEO of, of 37 Signals, announced that they were not getting value for their money out of the cloud, that got a lot of people's attention. And in particular, he followed this up with, with a announcement that, they, that 37 Signals had spent something like $3.2 million with AWS and felt that that money would be better directed at purchasing their own servers and running it themselves. So, Logan, give us a background on on kind of the cost structure and what 37 Signals is spending their money on. Sure. So, after that announcement by their CEO, an engineer in their SRE and ops division named Fernando Alvarez posted a blog post where he broke down some of that cloud spend with that top-line cost of $3.2 million for cloud services in 2022, which comes out roughly to $260,000 a month, that's a large cloud spend. That's, those are real numbers for a real company that is uh, offering several SaaS products in the market. And he broke it down a little further that, for example, for Hey, their email product, their yearly bill was a little over a million dollars a year. $1,066,150 or $88,000 per month. And a large amount of that was on RDS, which is Amazon's relational database service. They're running Aurora, which is Amazon's database engine. But over that, they support several different commonly used relational database services, such as MySQL or Postgres. In this case, they're using MySQL. And so their spend for RDS was 
473000 or $39,000 a month in 2022. And uh, so this is just for hay. And the other big tool that they were using pretty extensively is Open Search Service, which is a full text search framework that, again, Amazon offers a managed service version of. And they were spending for their hay product $519,000 a year or $43,000 a month on Open Search Service and AWS. Additionally, for EC2 and EKS, which is Amazon's managed Kubernetes platform, they were spending $759,000 or $63,000 a month in 2022. The the big number I think that jo- that jumped out to us. There's a few other things in there: Elastic Cache and uh, for their caching layer. The number that really jumped out to us was their S3 spend. S3 is the object storage service in Amazon. This is where you're going to store your files, your JPEG images, maybe PDFs, other data that you're storing in a in a unit of a file as opposed to storing values in a table in a database. And for S3, they were spending $907,000 a year, and but they're storing 8 petabytes. And 8 petabytes is a significant amount of data. And we penciled out that if they were to, be, to have just stored that 8 petabytes in the standard S3 storage, it would have costed well over $2 million dollars. And this demonstrates that they have been taking cost optimization seriously. To get that number down to 907,000, they had to have been doing things like implementing lifecycle policies that would set a policy for a given file and say, if this once this file is 30 days old or six months old or a year old, move this into a different access tier where you will be charged less for storing the file, but retrieving the file, you may be charged more. You can you can figure out how to optimize how much you're spending in S3 by taking advantage of these lifestyle policies and these different access tiers so that you're not paying a uniform price for files that may be accessed in very different patterns. If you have things that are archival and only need to be pulled out for audits, it doesn't make sense to be paying your standard storage fee. Whereas if you have files that are going to be frequently accessed by someone that's using your email service, it would make sense to have the standard access tier where you are paying more for storage for the file, but you are not incurring an access cost at point of retrieval. Even more challenging, they're using the dual region approach where S3 essentially, you put an object into S3, it copies it into a separate bucket. So you are incurring charges for both of those buckets and you're incurring charges for the transfer of that. So the standard storage cost for an object in S3 is 2.3 cents per gig per month. If you're going to put it into multiple regions under S3, that would be 4.6 cents. Storing a terabyte is $46. Storing a petabyte, which is a thousand times a thousand terabytes, 
means that you're spending $46,000 a month to store a petabyte in normal circumstances. And eight petabytes on top of that, that's uh, $360,000 per month. So they are taking a a potential $360,000 bill and carving it all the way down to just about $75,000 a month. So they, in looking at 37Signal's cloud effort, they're obviously deploying an enormous amount of engineering resources. So the typical arguments then about moving, why would you move out of the cloud back into into the data center? Some of the typical arguments would be, well, what about your engineering folks? Your engineering folks who are spending time on your application now have to spend time on the data center. Obviously, the engineering folks that they have online are spending an enormous amount of time managing the cloud resources. So it's not like they will have to reskill or or get a, a brand new group of engineers, that engineering talent is there. It's just changing their focus. So that that argument goes away to a certain extent in the 37 signals aspect. So those of you who are thinking, wow, I'm spending a lot of money in the cloud and I can move back to the data center like 37 signals. No, there's a key element that's, that's missing, which is they've applied the discipline and the rigor to completely understand the, their data model and the, the life cycle of the data model so that they can take a potential $3.2 million bill and take it down to $907,000. So decreasing it by over a third, by over two thirds, is just an incredible achievement. So these are, these are the people who are willing to grind to grind it out. And therefore, when they say, I'm willing to engage with a hardware vendor. I believe they're talking about Dell and that they're willing to engage the hardware vendor and get an 80% discount. I, I could only think that that poor Dale's, Dell's salesperson. <laughs> and we will post the links to these discussions. There's another discussion that DHH had about his inability for the enterprise software people to match the hardware people in terms of discounting. So it's not a completely done deal. And they do have a lot of challenges still down the line, but they they know what their challenges are. They're not just on a whim saying, I don't want to pay these bills anymore and switching over without really knowing what comprises these bills. I think another thing to add about the factors that they've taken into consideration is they understand that their business model and that they understand that their products and their consumer base are relatively stable growth model. They are not bursty. They are not a retail store that has a Black Friday and has peaks and valleys to the traffic over the course of a year. They have relatively consistent traffic throughout the year to their SaaS offerings. And so the some of the advantages that the cloud has that the data center does not have, such as the ability to dramatically auto-scale out and scale back in to respond to your traffic needs, are not going to be as appealing to them. Whereas if your business needs to be highly responsive to various levels of traffic throughout the year, the cloud is going to enable that flexibility for you in a way that is not a value add for them. 
very good point. When Hay and Basecamp are looking to provide products, this product is essentially used around the world, around the clock. So this the steady it won't have a diurnal or nocturnal slump, and therefore you can't take advantage of the fact that we'll just turn off some machines at 6 p.m. East Coast time. The flip side of that is is if you as a company are looking at this, do you understand your usage patterns? So I talked before about the the S3 bill that 37 Signals is paying reflects a whole lot of work. In addition, they understand their their business model and their customers' usage model. You know, what does one customer or a group of customers mean adding them to your to your fleet? What does that mean adding more people to your software system? Something like an email system, there's a predictable flow to that. Possibly even something that that could be reflected in, let's say, a very popular game. Now, the the game may start off really popular, and in describing the the history of Hay, for example, DHH was saying they had a huge growth spurt at the beginning because they didn't anticipate how popular it would be. But now that's pretty much leveled out. So Hay started off completely in the cloud and is now they're moving it back to a data center because the dynamics of the business itself has changed. Yeah, I think the understanding your business is obviously always very crucial. I think it's very interesting that they were that they did take advantage of the cloud for that early scaling growth and it it probably was beneficial at that time when hey was growing faster than anticipated. If they had been in a data center, they probably would have been having to deal with procurement cycles for getting more Dell hardware on those racks. But now that they have entered a different, more mature stage in their business model, the factors have changed. And now it pencils out that being in a data center makes more sense for them. And the managed services that they happen to rely on and Amazon happen to be some of the more expensive ones. I mean, RDS and OpenSearch, because they're managed-ish, you're still paying for that virtual machine, that EC2 instance underlying an RDS RDS database or an OpenSearch database. All those factors, I think, do contribute to for their particular business and and the, and the type of business they are as a email hosting, which is going to be very document intensive, and as a result, very object storage intensive. It makes more sense than for a lot of other business types. I've already brought up retail, but any kind of certainly an early stage startup, but also a more mature enterprise that has very bursty traffic and can take advantage of turning off workloads at night or over weekends, all of those other types of businesses can really take more advantage of the cloud than than they can in this particular instance. The final aspect I want to emphasize about 37 Signals is they have taken advantage of being as neutral to a vendor platform as possible. We mentioned before that they're running containers on Kubernetes, EKS, and AWS. And the discussion I talked about earlier where DHH was trying to get enterprise software, what he was trying to do is get an equivalent platform to EKS running in his available to his systems within uh, bringing him back to the data center. That's possible 
and it, there are many choices that that you can do. But his major frustration is that that the enterprise software vendors didn't want to work with him in, in terms of discounting. Now there are obviously many ways that that, that can be approached. Uh, if, if, for example, he still wanted to use Kubernetes and he wanted to be multi-platform, maybe something like Anthos. But that's that's something that they will have to have to explore on their own. So the the major points that we wanted to make make sure came out of here is first of all, know yourself, <laughs> know your data models, know your data life cycles, know your business, know your customer cycles, and Actually, lowest down on the priority list is know your technology. We assume that you're going to be able to deploy a stack, that you're going to be able to deploy solid software, but your engineering and technology team needs to be aware of the fact that businesses have a, have a life cycle, an early growth phase, a mature, stable phase, possibly even a phase where you're going to end of life and, and changing stuff out. You have to make sure that you've built technology that is able to, to uh, support that. Which brings us, as we said, to the begin to the news that we first started off with, kind of the instability of the economy right now and the fact that high-tech companies didn't follow that lesson themselves. We have the layoffs that have been occurring at, at large technology companies, uh, Google laid off 12,000 people. Just watching the, the goodbyes and the, uh, the responses on LinkedIn, this has been a wide swath of people throughout the business, ranging from people who'd been there six months to people who'd been there 20 years. The question then to, to companies like Google, to Microsoft, to, to Amazon, to, to Salesforce is why? What is the ultimate outcome of these layoffs? We know based on other industries that there's still job growth going on. So there's an enormous number of ways that we can theorize this. But what one thing we'd like the, our listeners and, and management of these companies to understand is that every layoff represents a failure of management. <laughs> A failure of management either to have the right kind of people or the right kind of growth or to anticipate where the economy was. So the irony here is that we t- we talked about a company that is very, very focused on the numbers, very focused on the technology and building out the life cycle. They're in an environment where some of the leaders in the environment haven't taken that to heart. That was a little bit of pontificating there. <laughs> so Basically, we wanted to make sure that we got a little bit ahead of the trend. The announcement by 37Signals and a couple of other people that they're pulling out of the cloud, the high-tech press tends to be very pack-oriented. So undoubtedly, you'll see articles of, has the cloud collapsed? Has the, um, is, the, is the bubble over? Or is everything going back to the way it was? And our perspective is that the cloud added more space in the tool chest, a new set of tools. Tools that, again, we very much are, those are the tools that we pick up first, but that every set of tools that exists in IT still has a role. Yeah, I mean, with this particular technology stack, they didn't really get to take advantage of some of those higher level 
managed services that we talk about and have covered extensively in prior podcasts. They really don't spend much on the managed services in AWS like a Lambda or a DynamoDB that are fully managed and you're not worrying about the underlying EC2 instance under it. Um, with the exception of S3, which they did very good, a very good job of, of cost optimizing. Being able to take advantage of those services is extremely powerful. And it, for this particular technology stack and for the particular product that they're supporting, those tools were not a, a perfect match. But those tools are unparalleled in the data center. There's things that are roughly equivalent to Lambda in the data center, but nothing, nothing truly like it. And getting to take advantage of those tools is extremely powerful. Yes, absolutely. We spent a little time thinking offline about how we might change the technology stack to be more efficient. The ratio, the rule of thumb that you have in the cloud is that you are doing a good job if your spend on servers, EC2, Google Compute Engine, etc., is 70% or less of your bill. In a quick look at the breakdown from 37 signals, their their spend on servers per se is between 25 and 50% depending on how you want to calculate it. So they've done a good job at eliminating that, but if they would ask themselves possibly re-engineer the stack to take more advantage of of things like serverless they may have an opportunity to, to save more money. Okay, so thank you for listening. Welcome back to 2023. We There's an enormous number of things that are coming over the horizon at us. The chat GPT and the machine learning AI, what does it mean for, for IT in general and for the cloud? There's a massive compute necessary to behind that and what is how do th- people like Google and Microsoft respond to that we're in the middle of of dueling press announcements so we'll try and sort those out for you and then obviously we're in a little bit different era in IT where money cost savings are going to going to matter and they're going to be the kind of things that for example may lengthen your career at whatever organization you're at so we'll talk about a lot of those as well Thanks for listening, and we will be back next week. Okay, bye.